One of my favorite lines from the hymn she just played says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, what church? Interposed his precious blood. Interposed his precious blood. Our desire has been from the beginning to the end of this service that Christ would be exalted, that the gospel would be clearly evident from the Lord's Supper to the songs we sing to the prayers we pray, and now even in the preaching. I want to begin by asking you a deep theological question. So turn to your neighbor and say, he's about to ask us something deep. Get ready. All right, you ready? Here's the deep theological question. How many of you have ever seen a turtle sitting on a fence post? Anybody? I'm no Magnum P.I., though I grew up with him. I do know this. If you see a turtle sitting on a fence post, you can know one thing for sure. What is that? He didn't put himself on the post, right? Someone else placed him there. Now turn to your neighbor and say this. If you're in Christ, you're a spiritual turtle on a fence post. I know you guys come here week after week because the depth that we give you. I know that, right? How many of you would agree that as you think about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, number one, we are in a place we never deserved to be, and number two, we didn't put ourselves there. This is the glory of the gospel and what we see. We're going to be in Ephesians today, and actually the whole book. I just didn't want to tell you that up front. I put Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 so that you would think we were going to study 10 verses, but we've got about 30 minutes to do the whole book of Ephesians, and bless you. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I've put a sentence there for you in your notes. It says this, When we were trapped in sin, under Satan's power and unable to save ourselves, God made us alive, raised us up, seated us with Christ, that both in this age and the age to come, we would be a display of His glorious grace. That is the essence of these ten verses in this passage in Ephesians 2. That when we were trapped in sin, we were under Satan's power and unable to save ourselves, God... God is the subject of these verses, and there are three verbs that we're going to see, and I've put them there in our own sentence. He made us alive, he raised us up, he seated us, and all three of those are with one person. Who is it that it's with? Christ. That, in, that both in this age and the age to come, we would be a display of his glorious grace. As you leave today, there are a couple things that I'm praying we will do from this sermon. Number one is always remember, remember what God rescued us from. Number two is always look forward to where God is leading us. And number three, always be faithful to display God in our present responsibilities. Would you stand with me and let's read verses 1 through 10 in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes under the influence of the Spirit, and here's what he says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But some of my favorite words in the whole Bible are these next two words. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and see this with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, we thank you for this glorious passage. It changes the way I sing to you, and it changes the way I live for you. It's not works that have earned your affection. You loved us before we ever did anything. It's not works that have earned our salvation. We are your workmanship. It is you who saw us in our most wretched state and set your mercy and love and affection on us. And you made us alive. You raised us up. You seated us in all with Christ. He is our one hope. So, Father, I pray now that we would exalt Christ. We would make much of Christ in this sermon. We would make much of salvation so that our hearts would be stirred. It already has been as we've seen the gospel over and over and over in this service. We've sung it. We've participated. We've proclaimed the table. Now proclaim it from your word. And may we never be the same. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Two very large teaching points this morning. The first one is this. The church matters to God and it should matter to us. And as his church, we should always remember what God rescued us from. We should always look forward to where God is leading us. And we should always be faithful to display God in our present responsibilities. The first part should not be new to you. I've shared it over and over and over. But I never dull of repeating some things to you in hopes that eventually you'll get it. Our Greek professor, Dr. Ray, used to say, you keep throwing stuff against the wall, eventually something will stick. So... What we want to be reminded is that the church matters to God and should matter to us. You know, folks who would say, I'm cool with Jesus, I'm not cool with the church, show one of two things. They're either ignorant or immature because Jesus is cool with the church. It's his bride. I don't go up to Dr. David and say, I'm cool with you, but Miss Martha, eh, she's iffy, right? I would never do that. I'm much more cooler with Miss Martha than Dr. David, right? That's how we are. We like her. So we know that you don't go up to a man and say, we like you, just not your bride, right? So the church is intimately important to Christ. But we see it in Ephesians. In the beginning, we see this. The Father planned the church, and the words in Ephesians 1 should be breathtaking to us, no matter how many times we read them. They should capture our breath and steal it away, because in verse 3, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Who picked who first, friends? He picked us first. He picked us. Don't ever think you just, oh, hey, God. No, friends, before the foundation of the world, these words should capture our breath. That we should be holy and blameless before him. We shouldn't run past that one too quick. If we just make a decision and our life never changed, friends, the gospel has not invaded us. The gospel changes us or there is no gospel. That we should be holy and blameless. That's his plan. Look, it gets even richer. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Folks, a lot of times we'll freak out because of the word predestined. That's a word to rejoice over because it means that God has a plan. And his plan is that we would be adopted in Christ Jesus. That's a great plan. Amen? In love, he predestined us. He had a plan. And what that plan is that we would be for adoption through Jesus Christ. And look at it. According to the purpose of his will, who chose to do it? He did. It was his idea. Salvation was his idea. Not yours. Not ours. It was his. And to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. That purchase price, right? 
through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, stumblings, fallings, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I love that God is not skimpy with grace. I love that God gives us a flood of grace and he lavishes it upon us. Let these words wash over us. And he does it in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. There's the word again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Friends, if that doesn't capture your breath, I can't do anything else for you this morning. It should steal our breath away that this was the eternal plan of the Father. He planned the church, and it's not just an eternal plan from eternity to eternity. There's a a present plan that goes along with that. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I kind of love it. I think of it like this. God chose the bad news bears in order to show his glory, the bride right? Who else could take the riffraff that we are and cause us all to live for his glory? Who else could bring such a change and cause his glory to shine evidence but God? And so it's this incredible picture, friends. Church matters to God. He planned it. Number two, his son purchased the church. Ephesians 2 verse 11 says this, Therefore, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. He's talking to us. Remember, the circumcision is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Friends, don't miss it. When God was making eternal plans, it had, it had implications for God the Son. And God the Son purchased the church with his blood. And you don't get to heaven with a get-out-of-free card. You get to heaven because the price has been paid. The bill has been paid for. And I love the song that Stephanie taught us. And I love that we would sing the gospel. The debt has been paid. The one who died for the church cares intimately for the church. And he lives even now interceding for the church. If you don't give a rip about the church, you don't give a rip about what Jesus cares about. Jesus cares about his church. The father planned it. The son purchased it. It should never grow old to us. Number three, the spirit powers the church. Back in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. See, there's something important there that should grip us. How do people come to salvation? They hear the word of truth, friends. They hear the gospel. You know how our neighbors come to Jesus? We share Jesus with them. You know how the nations come to Jesus? We share the gospel. Over 6,000 people groups still remain yet to hear the name of Christ. Ephesians 1 says... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. 
So it's not just hearing alone. It's believing. It's repenting. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now back in chapter 2, back in verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the Father planned the church, the Son purchased the church, and the Spirit powers the church. How many of you would say... Church is important to the Trinity. How many of you would say if the church is important to the Trinity, it should be important to us? Never miss this, that God's church matters to him. And so Paul prayed for the church. Look back in Ephesians 1. I told you, we're doing the whole book. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15. This is what Paul prays. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Wouldn't that be great to be true of us, church? That we have a love toward all the saints, not just some of the saints? Not just the ones that don't get on our nerves, not just the ones that we like, not just the ones that have good breath, but our love toward all the saints, right? I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may see three things, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Pop quiz, who is the true senior pastor of Cross Point? Jesus. He is the head of the church. And here's what Paul is simply praying. I'm praying for you to get it. I'm praying for you to get it. I'm praying for you to have eyes that grasp what the gospel means for you. That you would have your mind know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of his power. And then he goes, you know how powerful it is? It's the power that raised Christ from the dead. How many of you would say that's pretty strong? And then he's going to say later, there's another prayer that he's going to pray in verse 20 of chapter 3. He prays this, Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power. What power is that? That's the power that raised Christ from the dead. So friends, it doesn't matter if you have 200 folks in the congregation, you have 20 folks in the congregation. The power of God is the same, and it's the power that raised Christ from the dead. And that's our hope. That's our confidence. Not in budgets, buildings, or bodies. This isn't our hope. Our hope is in the glorious gospel and the strength of God. And he says, now that you would know this immeasurable work that's, uh, that he's able to do far more abundantly than all we think or imagine according to the work that's within us. And then verse 21 to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Paul says, I'm praying for you to get it. And I'm praying for him to be glorified in his church. And one of the ways that he's glorified as you move on from there in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is that we walk differently. That we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That we don't walk as the Gentiles who don't know God. That we walk in love, that we walk in light, and that we walk in wisdom. That's what you're going to see. There's a whole lot of walking that takes place after Ephesians 3, as you move into Ephesians 4, that we should be walking differently. But all of that is made possible because of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. 
And God is glorified as the church walks in Christ. How does he get glory? It's not a mystery. As we mature. That's why you should be in a Sunday school class. That's why you should be in a Wednesday night group. That's why you should be growing in his word. Because what is his plan? It's not my plan that you would be mature. I'm going to give an account for helping you move there. But Ephesians 4, the way God is glorified is his people move toward maturity. So they're not tossed to and fro by everything that pops on Twitter or Facebook or at the movie theater or on CNN. We're not tossed to and fro by whatever any Christian person publishes any new book we're not tossed because we know the truth god is glorified in that and so we want to be a church that proclaims the truth you don't want to know the word there are plenty of other options up and down airline friends there are other places that we can go we want to know the word because we want god to be glorified in this place don't we and primarily because we know what it's like to be rescued we don't get over the gospel so the church matters to god it should matter to us and as his church, we should. Now, Roman numeral two, subpoint little a. Always remember what God rescued us from. Look back at the verses we read. It's an ominous beginning. From birth and without God, we were at one time dead. How many of you know that's a pretty tough word? We need some clarity in that, right? Some of you are like, well, I don't really understand what dead means, right? Look at what he says. Don't forget, isn't it incredible? He starts with Ephesians 1 and says, God has this eternal plan for you, blessings, lavishing grace on you. And then Paul says, I'm praying for you, get the power that's, that's available to you. And then he moves in and says, but I want to remind you where you came from. I don't be fooled by the rocks I got. I'm still Jenny, Jenny from the block. That's the great theologian, Jennifer Lopez. So you don't want to forget where you came from. And Paul says, you know where you started? In the grave. That's where you started spiritually. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead, not sick, not struggling, not dying, not sinking, dead. And as I've told you time and time again, dead people do two things for themselves, and only two things. What are those? Jack and squat. That's why Michelle's our ministry assistant. She knows. Those are Greek words, Jack and Squat. Those are the only things that a dead person can do for themselves. I've shared for, with you, when my father died and we were picking out the casket, we rode up in the elevator at the funeral home and my father's suit was hanging in that elevator. And it was a weird moment. But what was most weird to me was the realization he wouldn't put it on. Someone else would put it on for him. Please don't miss what Paul is telling you, friend. You were dead. There's nothing you can do for yourself. You cannot change your situation. You were in two things, trespasses, which is the word stumblings, falling, or crossing of a line. And you were in sin, which is what we often refer to as missing the mark. It's that archery term that instead of hitting the bullseye, you're way over here, right? You know what I'm talking about? Well, I want to be very clear that what Paul is also saying, it's not just that we missed the mark. Paul is telling you, you could have never hit the mark. I've always wanted to dunk a basketball. And the only way I can do it is if it's on like a Nerf goal that's like four feet tall. You know what I'm saying? And I power that thing, right? But when it's a real 10-foot goal, I can't do it. And it's not because I don't eat Wheaties in the morning. It's not because if I had my Air Jordans or back in the day, we had Reebok pumps that you pumped up. Anybody remember those? All right, five of us. So pss, pss, pss. It's not just that I don't have the right gear. I lack the ability to get this chunkiness all the way up 10 feet and dunk it, right? I do. So it's not just that I'm missing it. I don't have the ability. So please don't miss what Paul is saying. You cannot save yourself. 
you are dead. God has to come to you, and this is what God says, live. Live. It's glorious. It's glorious. When your eyes are opened, it's because he's passed by and opened them, friends. And he says, live and unplug your ears and hear the gospel. Here's what we were like. So we were dead and our trespasses and sins, and we were doing three things. We were following the world, we're following the prince of the power of the air, and we're following the cravings of our uh, body and mind. All right, so three things that we're following here that are descriptors of us. So we're following the world. And once he says, as you were dead in trespasses and sins, and when you once walked, following the course of this world, we're going, bebopping along, doing the same things the world does with anything different about us. We're chasing the same dreams they are, which I should point out here that this is the believer's past. We shouldn't look like this now. If we are in Christ, we still shouldn't be following the course of the world. We shouldn't be chasing the same things they are because we have a different treasure. Number two is, who's your daddy? Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's not working the sons of disobedience. Does anyone have any idea who that is? It's Satan. It's the devil. We were following Satan. And uh, there are only two spiritual fathers. People would say, we are all God's children. That is horrendous. President Obama said it in a campaign speech, and I couldn't disagree more. We are not all God's children. And I've used the picture over and over, but again, we're throwing it against the wall. Eventually, it's going to stick, right? We use Pinocchio and Geppetto. Geppetto created Pinocchio. Was he his son at that point? No, he was his creation. But then something happened to Pinocchio, and he changed, and he became a what? I just love to hear, real boy. I'm a real boy, right? Something changed, and the dynamic in that relationship changed because now he was no longer the creation of Geppetto. Now he was Geppetto's son. Please don't miss what Jesus tells the religious leaders. My father is not your father. Your father is the devil. There are only two spiritual fathers. And the only way that we get God to be father, he predestined us through adoption through Christ. That's the only way God becomes the father. So here's what we were like. We're chasing the world. We're under the influence of the devil. And please don't miss the word that he says there. That spirit, Satan, he's now at work. He's now at work. He prowls around like a lion, seeking to devour and destroy, which is why you should turn to Ephesians 6 sometime and encounter the whole armor of God. I'll spare you. We're not going to go to that one part of Ephesians, but the rest of it we'll get to. And he says this, we're following the desires of our mind and our body. He says, verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. You see, this is true spiritual warfare. Most people think spiritual warfare involves just us and the devil. Spiritual warfare actually involves the world, the devil, and the flesh. These are the three battlefields of spiritual warfare. And Paul lists them here, and he says, and we were following all of them. I would like to make an important note for those of you who think, we're free, we're free. This doesn't sound very free. It seems to me that we're in bondage to the world. We're in bondage to the devil. We're in bondage to sin. We're in bondage to the flesh. We need to be liberated. And I will also state again, this should be the believer's past. Look at what Paul says. Among whom, verse 3, among whom we all once lived. This is where we came from, not where we are now. There should be some difference in us. As a result of all these things, or these things are actually the result of something else, it says this, we were, at the end of verse 3, by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Friends, we don't sin and then we become sinners. We are sinners when we are born. Don't miss the word by nature. 
when those cute little babies are born at Women's Hospital today, they will all come out and by nature be sinners. We inherit that from Adam, Romans chapter 5. This is how we were. And so we sin because that's who we are. What we do is because who we are. And the rebellion to God's kingship has consequences. We are children of wrath. So many of us quote John 3.16, but don't forget John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And in case you haven't pondered that, it's awful. Remember what we studied a few weeks ago in Revelation 6? The wrath of the face of the Lamb is so awful that kings, the great ones, the generals, and everyone else are hiding in caves and praying for the rocks to fall on them. The interesting note to me is that's not going to save them from the wrath, right? Don't miss how awful it is. And this is how we were. We were children of wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, though, says it's Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Why does that happen? Because of verse 4, but God. Friends, never forget where we were. When we come in here and we sing, I don't sing because I've saved myself. I was dead I was in save, slavery to the world, the flesh, and the devil, but God. And then look at these descriptors, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So many folks say, I wish I knew. I wish he would show me. He has. The word there for mercy is the word chesed. Have you heard that lately? Anyone heard that word? Remember where we heard that word? Ruth. In our study of Ruth, it's that loving kindness. It's that loving kindness. God who is rich in chesed, loving kindness, who loved us with his great love. He chose to love us. He chooses to have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And then look at the three verbs that he does for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, please don't miss that. Twice, Paul's trying to tell you, you were dead, you were dead. You get it? Does he need to say a third time? You were dead. Okay, so we're real slow, all right? You were dead. And look at what he does. He made us alive together with Christ. He brings liberation. He brings regeneration. Then what he does, he, by grace you've been saved. There I love it. Paul just has a hallelujah moment. He's like, I can't contain it. By grace you've been saved. And then he goes on. Let me pick up my other verb. And raised us up. His resurrection is ours. And seated us with him in the heavenly places. His victory is our victory. So he set us free through Christ. He gives us resurrection through Christ. He gives us the victory now. And please don't miss the glorious part. God did not do this because of who we were. He did it in spite of who we were, friends. You see that? Now let me ask you a very important question because this is, in many ways, theology. There's a lot of great biblical theology in this passage with regard to our salvation. But let me show you where theology meets the road. Let me ask you a question. In Ephesians 2, particularly verses 4, 5, and 6, we see how God treats these people who are dead, chasing the world, following the devil. Now let me ask you an important question. Ready? How do we treat people who seem unworthy or undeserving of our love and compassion? They may be spiritually dull, rebellious, and even antagonistic toward God. So were we. But God loved us anyway. Can we do less for fellow sinners? So we would be the ones who sing and say, thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for loving me. And if we are the ones who sing that, then we also should be the ones that the love flows out of us to those who never deserved it as well. Theology meets application, friends. We don't just learn these things. We live these things and we walk in them. Small letter B. 
always look forward to where God is leaving, leading us. Verses 2, 1 through 6, the believers passed, the churches passed. We were dead, God made us alive. Verse 7 says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's the future of the church. We saw the past of the church. Here's the future of the church. For all eternity, we're going to be a display of his grace. For all eternity, as we go about heaven, it's going to be evident we didn't save ourselves. For all eternity, we will be a part of that trophy case. And we are going to experience the fullness of these riches. It says the immeasurable riches of his grace. But that's a word that's actually repeated in Ephesians. When we get to heaven, as we look forward, chapter 1, verse 8 says this, which he lavished upon us in all the riches of his grace. It's chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. As we look forward, the future of the church is going to be a full experience of the riches of his grace. Chapter 1, verse 18, it's going to be a full experience of the riches of his glorious inheritance. Chapter 2, verse 4, a full experience of the riches of his mercy. Chapter 3, verse 8, a full experience of the riches of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 16, a full experience of the riches of his glory. Friends, this is the future of the church. And you just trace that word riches through Ephesians. And you're amazed at how many times it pops up in the future of the church and what we're going to experience. But primarily, for all eternity, we will be evidence of his love and graciousness. I love what John writes in 1 John 3. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Friends, what an incredible hope for the church, particularly as we are sinners who still struggle with sanctification. Particularly as sometimes our obedience seems sporadic. Particularly as sometimes we still struggle with guilt and disappointment. Two things I would say to you. Number one, God's love for you is based on Christ, not on your actions. Number two, one day there will be no more sin. And the church will be an incredible picture, not because we've sanctified ourselves, but because he has sanctified us and made us like our brother Jesus. How many of you would say the future of the church looks bright? How many of you would say it would be very unwise to bail on something that has such a bright future? Let me show you now, friends, the present responsibilities of the church. Little letter C, always be faithful to display God in our present responsibilities. Two things from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Number one is that we are recipients of grace. And number two, we are displays of grace. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Three teaching points that I've put there on your outline. Number one, God saves us. Don't forget what Paul says. You were dead even when we were dead. Verse five. Verse one, you were dead. Verse five, even when we were dead. Here's what God does. God gives us both grace and faith. He says, it's not your doing. It is a gift of God. Yes, we must repent and believe, but don't miss what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. He says this, I'm sure of this, that he who began a what? Who began the work? God. And what's he going to do? He's going to bring it to completion. He says, we'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And the reason he says that, Philippians 2.13, 
It's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yes, even our faith. We'd say Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Will we save ourselves? No, friends, faith itself is a gift from God. Because if it happens in any other way, then we can boast about saving ourselves. But we want to stop and say, God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the faith that I need that you both, you work in me to will, to want it. You work in me to want it. Romans 3 says, if he didn't, we never would. We never would. So we are recipients. So God saves us. God gives us both grace and faith because God alone can boast. Look back in chapter 1 at these things that are repeated. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And the very last phrase in chapter and verse 14, to the praise of his glory. I said it just a moment ago. If we saved ourselves, we should get part of the glory. But God gets the glory, friends, because he did the rescuing. William Temple said this, The only thing that a man can contribute to his redemption is the sin from which he needs to be redeemed. This changes the way I sing. This changes the way I worship. Because I know I was dead, following the world, following the devil, following the flesh. And God came in and unwrapped the prison chains. And he said, live. And he changed me, even giving the faith needed to turn, to repent, and believe. Well, verse 10 says this. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love verse 9 says, it's not a result of works. So we haven't earned this. Friends, it's not works that we've achieved. Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship. We didn't get here because of our work. We are here because of his work. And the word here behind workmanship is obviously artistic piece, sometimes the word poem. We get it from here, but in a broader sense, an artistic piece. I've shared with you uh, before about, I don't really recognize artists. You know, their folks are like Da Vinci, Van Gogh. They look at stuff. Now, Picasso, I can get because it's all jacked up and funky, right? So I just assume if I see that, then it's Picasso. The one that inspired me most was when I saw years ago when I was in high school in New Orleans, and it was Monet. If it's blurry and has lily pads anywhere on that junk, it's Monet. And that inspired me because I felt like I could do that. You know, lily pad, you know. I could be famous. Here's the incredible thing. You, you look at that, and those people who know art, they know it. Monet, Van Gogh, Da Vinci. And what Ephesians 2.10 says that when we look, and when people look at our lives, they look at the salvation that's been wrought. People say, I know the artist, God. It's God. It's his workmanship. Now, here's the incredible thing I told you. We are his workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works. Isn't it incredible that the works come after salvation, not before them? And how long were they planned? Well, God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. Don't miss the contrast. It says, we once walked, Ephesians 2.2. This is how we once walked. But Ephesians 2.10 says, now that salvation is here, we walk in a different way. And that's what the rest of Ephesians does for us as explains what that walk looks like. And I put them there on your outline. We walk in a manner worthy of the calling, 4.1. We walk different than those who do not know Christ. We walk in love and sacrifice, 5.2. We walk in light, 5.9. We walk in wisdom, not wasting the days, but doing what God wants. And I love chapters 1 through 3 are the incredible theology of Ephesians. And then 4 through 6 is where it meets the road. Now my question is, friend, has it met the road with us? Are we walking different because we've been rescued? 
Are our hearts full? Or do you come in here Sunday after Sunday and depending on what we sing, revs you up? Because if that's the case, you've missed it. We don't come in here and get revved up by notes and sounds. We don't get revved up by videos. We get revved up because of the gospel. And as a matter of fact, we never rev down. We never decline. We want to meditate on this so it makes a difference. We don't forget it. Well, in light of this weekend, I want to close with this way. Fifteen years ago, I was a freshman at LSU. Can you believe that? Fifteen. Fifteen years ago, I was a freshman at LSU. Fifteen years ago, I was a freshman at LSU on a mission trip. And fifteen years ago, I was a freshman at LSU on a mission trip to Mardi Gras, where I would meet a guy named Byron Townsend. We would uh, be put in the same group of four. <laughs> yeah, he was actually at Mardi Gras on Bourbon No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we would be put in the same group of four. We would work in the Florida projects in New Orleans. We would work with First Baptist St. Charles along the parade route there. One night we'd go to Bourbon Street, Byron and I and two other guys. And we had our, I had my driver's license in one pocket and my insurance card in another. That way if I got stabbed and pickpocketed, I might have one. They'd be like, this is me, you know. And we literally, the crowd is so intense on Bourbon Street, particularly these nights of it, that you can't, it carries you. It carries you. Your feet are literally picked up off of Bourbon Street. And we went and we encountered, what we encountered first caused us to walk straight through it and just get to the other side and pause on the corner and say, we need to pray some more. And when we came back, you know, there were people that were, the Vukare Baptist does an outreach there, but there are other folks who come down and have the ginormous crosses and they, and they yell at folks. And there was this one lady that was yelling and I just happened, I, I stepped in between her and this other guy and I said, I don't know what she's yelling at, but I'd be happy to talk to you. And so he and I sat down on a corner, and I've shared with you before, his mother was a member of Charles Stanley's church in Atlanta. And he didn't come to Bourbon Street for Jesus, but Jesus came for him. And I began to share with him about his love. And I'll never forget, while I was sharing with him, there was this girl in front of us. And these guys were up top, and they were throwing beads down at her. And she was humiliating herself, and they were using her. And it was this depravity of man right in my face. And for plastic beads, this girl goes away and she lets herself be humiliated. And I just remember this great sadness and I'm talking with him. And when we finish, we pray together and someone taps me on the shoulder and it scared me. And he said, I could hear you guys talking. He said, would you talk with me? So we sat right back down in this corner of Bourbon Street and being able to, to share with him. And I, I think about that because here we are at Mardi Gras. And I would challenge us, the essence of Ephesians 2 it's not just that we walk differently from those that are going to be on Bourbon Street there to party. We should. We're set free from that stuff. We're not chasing the same things they are. God and his power has set us free. But I would challenge us too. We're also different than those who will do whatever they want on Tuesday and then get an ash dot on their forehead on Wednesday. We often will talk about that with some of our friends in the Catholic Church. But Friends Baptists aren't that far different sometimes. We have our own rituals that we go through in our lives are never changed. That's not the message of Ephesians 2. The message of Ephesians 2 is that we've never gotten over being rescued. The message of Ephesians 2 is that we extend grace as freely as we received it. The message of Ephesians 2 is that when people look at us, they see Jesus. And the message of Ephesians is that we are those who gladly and faithfully participate in his plan for the church. Friends, we are turtles on a fence post because God walked by and he put us in a place we never deserved to be. 
if that's not evident in the church, the church is in great struggle today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the chance to gather as your people. And I pray, even as we have just a a song here to respond, and then we'll close and we'll go about our day. But God, would you help us not to go about our day the same? Would you help us to have been able to celebrate Christ in this service from the opening passage of reading about him being scourged and stripped and spit on and know that our salvation was so costly? Would you help us, those verses from Isaiah, to resonate deep within us? It's by his stripes we were healed, that our iniquities caused him to be crushed and broken to pieces. Would you cause the bread that we touched and that we ate and the juice that we drank to be reminded that we have been set free? Father, would you use Ephesians to sit deep with us, that as we sing, as we worship, we know that we have not saved ourselves. We deserve no glory. We were dead, and you said live. And would the fact that we're set free be evidence in the way we walk? It's not just that we come to Jesus and he sets us free and then we're good till heaven. But the purpose is that the church would reveal the manifold wisdom of God through the church, through the bad news bears. God's glory shines brightest as he changes wretched people and uses them for his purposes. God, this is incredible. This was your plan. So would you help us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? God, would you help us not to walk as the Gentiles do who are futile in their understanding? God, would you help us to walk in love? Father, would you help us to walk in light? And would you help us to walk in wisdom, not wasting these days, making the most of them, knowing that they're evil, but knowing that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And we're to be singing and praising. We're to be thanksgiving. We're to be submitting. Father, we want to be the church. So use your word rich, richly in us. May your gospel always be close to our hearts. And may it change what we do this afternoon. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.